No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. This was another Sunday Rural Open Circle, an open Zoom call where I invite folks to come and gather, talk about the issues that they're thinking about in their rural communities. This week, I was joined by Eric from Saskatchewan, Anne, Holly, and Ruby, all from rural Ontario. Now, Ruby... I didn't include in the audio of this episode because Ruby was talking about wind turbines and their effects in rural uh, communities. And we're going to do a separate episode about that. Eric, Ann, Holly, and I had a conversation about 45 minutes in length And we talked about a lot of things, but mostly about what we're afraid might happen and the divisiveness that we're seeing. That's not new. I think many rural Canadians are feeling that on both sides. And we ended talking about how we can bring people together. There seems to be no center anymore. There's right, left, and not much in the middle. And... That's not conducive with working together. And we're all concerned about that and talked about that. I'm going to leave it up to you uh, to listen. So I give you Eric from rural Saskatchewan and Holly from rural Ontario. Where are you from, Anne? Where are you calling in from? Uh, Owen Sound, Ontario. Okay. And Eric is in? Unity, Saskatchewan. Unity, Saskatchewan. That sounds like a small community, is it? Yeah, and that's just my federal constituency name, Battlefords Lloydminster. Okay. And and so what's happening in your corner of rural Canada today? Or what are you thinking about? Eric is well, thinking about how, how sad of a situation we're in right now as far as uh, regressing as a, as a society. Thanks, I guess. Let's say we'll, we'll blame Trump, but uh, we have our own Canadian uh, aspect of that same person in Pierre Polivier, uh, Danielle Smith, uh, Scott Moe, probably Doug Ford. Uh, and if we don't start addressing stuff like that, uh, all of these sessions that you and many other people are having are going to be redundant. I wholeheartedly agree, but I want to ask why you think that, Eric. 
And welcome, Holly. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> I live in the bastion of uh, conservatism here, and it's. Uh, uh, I started. I've, I've always sort of been a, a progressive. So I guess the nearest thing to that would be either NDP or possibly the Green Party. But in Saskatchewan, we have an echo chamber that is very uninformed. And I think that's probably because most people don't really engage in politics. They don't, they don't pay attention in, to politics. They don't pay attention to world affairs. They don't pay attention to their own life, which if you're going to address uh, the woes of the world, you can't always be talking about, well, we're going to reduce your taxes. What the hell does that do? That doesn't do anything except for treat the lowest hanging fruit, which is the majority, uh, in a negative way. Uh, we are supposed to live in a, uh, I guess, a civilized society. I'm questioning that right now. But uh, in a civilized society, you look after the bottom first. And if the bottom can survive, and that means uh, have a roof over their head, uh, food for and uh, education, health care, those four corners, if we respected those and took care of those, the whole society would be better for it. Unfortunately, we aren't addressing that. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that, and I'm in Ontario, so I'm in rural Ontario. Um, Anne is in Owen Sound. And Holly, I don't know where you're from. I'm actually just outside of Drumbo. I used to live in Dorchester. Wow. Well, my mom uh, lived in Dorland subdivision near Beachville. Beachville, yeah. 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 And I actually used to live in Saskatchewan, in um, Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. So um, I've been around. So That's great. Fishing, fishing territory. Fishing, yep. I used to teach forestry up there. Oh, right on. And you joined us next. What are you concerned with? Um. Couldn't agree more with Eric. We have a municipal election, as you know, tomorrow. And we had a provincial election earlier this year, which I, I think partly because of the pandemic, um, nothing, there wasn't as much thought, I don't think, as much information, as much campaigning this year as there might have been uh, because people were just sort of, their head wasn't in that game. And I think the provincial rules are changing all the time for people who in, I also live in a very conservative area and all conservative areas are still full of progressives. We have to remember that, that uh, just because 46% or whatever of the 46% that vote voted conservative does not mean that there aren't lots of progressive voices, but our system doesn't allow for uh, because we don't have proportional representation and other things, it means that there are big blue swaths in Ontario, for example, that are full of progressives. So I guess I'm concerned that we're facing a municipal election, and I see in my area a lot of people who are, no offense, Eric, but a lot of him, he's, um, a lot of old white men that are going back to their seats that they've been in for a long time. And I don't, uh, I don't see a lot of progress. Full disclosure, I, I am the publisher and editor of a small online newspaper. So I'm, my ear is right as close to the ground as one can get. And I, yeah, I'm just discouraged by the fact because I think a lot of those people are not these people who are looking for re-election or even election, they are not particularly informed. And I don't think they realize what some of the implications of the things that are coming in Ontario. Some of the Ford uh, things around, uh, around elections, you know, why, why did he stop rank balloting in municipalities that had already had it? 
or that had already voted to have it. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want people getting any ideas about electoral reform that might float up to the provincial or federal government. So if you squash it before anybody can see that it works that or it has advantages, then nothing. Yeah. So I see a lot of people around me that don't really understand the implications of the things that have been suggested that are going to come right after the municipal election. There's going to be a hard, hard line from the provincial government about um, zoning, about powers, about um, and all in the name of we need more housing. But we've got a lot of things to lose in this system. How long has your newspaper been in operation? I've been the publisher for six years and it was uh, two years old when I when I got it from somebody who left to go work for Post Media. Interesting. I worked in in radio journalism. I'm going to let Holly go next, though, because uh, I'll talk about what (laughs) what I've been thinking about, because I just voted literally today online. Holly, go ahead. Hi. Uh, So I live actually just outside of Drumbo. I live off grid for the most part. I uh, I'm actually just today, yesterday and today, I've been building a greenhouse to start my own micro green business. Um, I have a degree in forestry and I've been a permaculture design uh, consultant for a few years and do foraging and that sort of thing. So I live off the land basically. And my, but I, but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm not still in touch <laughs> with the real world. And the problem, my problem living in a rural environment. And, and let me just tell you something. I, my whole family lives in the United States. So I am immersed in the politics of the United States. And I see way too much of the dichotomy of parties um, in, in Canada now. And, and it's, it, parties can't work together anymore. They just they just don't seem to be able to. And I'm really happy to see that the NDP and the liberals are at least attempting to do that. But uh, I'm going to leave the political side a little bit um, to, to the rest of you to discuss and I'll, I'll you know, contribute what I can. But, but my, my issues are more to do with just day-to-day living. I live in a in a valley so nobody in this valley has constant access to wi-fi or to internet and that's a huge concern especially for me starting a business i have to keep running off to coffee shops and that costs a lot of money with gas and with you know with buying coffee i mean i can make my own coffee at home it takes a little bit longer on the wood stove but i can do it but you know, now I have to set money aside in order to do those kinds of things. Communication. TELUS is talking about this new rural, you know, agricultural thing where they're helping agricultural communities. And I'm sorry, they won't even come into this community to put up a tower because it's too deep and it'll cost too much to put the tower up. So Communication is a huge issue for people like me. And, you know, another thing is that the cost of living, of course, we're, we're all experiencing that. And we see farmland disappearing way too fast. The housing issue, every time I go to London to see my friends, every time I go to Guelph to see my, my children, I see these huge subdivisions going in with huge houses that are just not necessary. And the developers are still getting away with getting these huge tracts of land to put up these huge subdivisions, which means that the industrial complexes and the, and the Starbucks are going to be following and that eats up more and more farmland and it's not necessary and nobody's stopping that. So that's one of my, my, concerns that come a little closer to the political side of things. So those are some of my concerns that are closest to my heart. Eric, I think you're chomping at the bit to say something. So go ahead. Holly, I would just like to say that while you're saying you don't want to be too political, I think everything we're talking about is political in nature. And I think that's the whole problem in society today 
and it's probably been that way forever. Uh, but if we don't change it now, we're, we're in deep shit. Sorry. People just, their eyes glaze over when you bring up politics, or even if you talk about uh, certain issues, which are right now, a lot of them are divisive, but there's a lot of common issues that we could be talking about and should be talking about. And this is a perfect venue for that. Uh, I have a group in Saskatchewan, it's called Seeds for Change on Facebook. And I bought a Zoom account recently just because uh, I wanted to start a nonpartisan group where we could have discussions like we're having today. And it's hard not to talk negative about about conservatism now because it's been infiltrated by a part of society that hasn't really got a place so but the conservative party has actually taken them in because they provide votes and they have to uh, sort of follow that uh, narrative uh, with insanity <laughs> is basically the word for it we still have a, a ex-president in the United States that isn't in jail yet. And he has done more damage to the world by allowing the nut bars out in the open. Yeah, maybe that's fine. That's good to have them exposed. But maybe then we should have a separate party for them. That's where proportional representation comes in. Then you you elect people and they'll they'll start their own party because they want to have their say in their freedoms and their whatever they uh, espouse usually in a lie that at least then we know where they are and it's not part of a, a party that maybe used to be uh, more legitimate but they're losing their legitimacy by fighting everything that's brought up by any other party and that's the Conservative Party. That's the only party that fights everything. We have to fight that as a society, as, a, as individuals and as groups like this. It's, there's only four people here today. I had a, my first Zoom meeting at the beginning of last month. I was the youngest person in it. That tells you, and most, I think they were all women. No, there was two men, sorry. The old white males are still dominating. You know what? There's a lot of people out there in the background that want to come out, but they're afraid, especially in Saskatchewan, uh, because people have been fed these sound bites that are negative, and be, from the from the right, the far right, we'll say, and uh, unless we address them from the the center or the left, they stand. Uh, and that's just the way it is. We And if we don't address that through groups like this and through discussion, through education, through learning together and and having the arguments, if they've got an argument, fine, bring it up, but bring it up in a rational way so that we can answer with our point of view. And then we uh, come to a consensus on the common issues like taxation for one. You bring up taxation, people right away they just they just shrivel up because it's they figure it's going to affect them. You, you know what? The working class is not going to be affected in a negative way as much as the the upper class needs to be and used to be. Forty years ago, they were paying when they were having I don't know how many millions of dollars. The, the rate went up to as far, high as 80 or 85%. There's nothing wrong with that when you're making, when you're talking millions of dollars or billions of dollars. We have been uh, propagandized, I guess. You, that's the only word that I can use, uh, into believing that they provide the jobs for us. And so that they should be able to have, have their uh, cake and eat it too. But you know what? They don't make one single dime without us. We have to recognize that and, and take that to heart as, as the working class and understand that, yeah, they provide us jobs and they get it, the investors, which a lot of it is us in mutual funds, uh, which uh, 
we take the loss and they're the ones that are steering the system so that they take the gains when, when they come around. Uh, so if we can carry on discussions and growing groups like yours, uh, Shauna Ray, uh, it's, it's only going to benefit society as a whole. And my biggest complaint is people have to engage or at least uh, listen to people that are more experienced in the political realm and understand what some of this stuff that we're being told is is uh, coming from not just the political party, but the corporations that uh, are constantly lobbying them. So my municipal election is is really concerning me. Like I mentioned, um, Eric, I agree with pretty much everything that you said. Um, I. I was a radio journalist and I would have people come in studio with me and I would invite every party to come in and discuss and talk about issues and field calls from, uh, you know, call in. It was a call in show. And there were people, including women that run that would run. And I would feel like I had to have a shower when I got out because they, I knew they were lying. I knew that they were saying things because they just wanted to get elected and there was no way that they could actually follow through with the promises that they were making because of course you have to have consensus you have to it all depends on who the other people are that are voted in and if they are opposite to your uh thinking or your um policy then you actually have to work together with those folks you have to try to influence you have to be respectful and and i think including myself. I mean, as a journalist, I wasn't really allowed to ever have, and I held on to that really tight, that I wasn't allowed to have a bias, but it's becoming more and more difficult for me not to, as I watch things unfold. People will claim things to me in a conversation. I'll be like, did you check that? Like, I mean, did you actually look at the source of where that's coming from? And I do say this at family dinners at, you know, I, I say, oh, uh, uh, where, what was, where did you find that from? You know, because we have so much influence on social media, so much influence online coming from folks. It's like a disguise. Like, so you mentioned Pierre uh, Polivier. He got in bed with some nasty folks. I think we know that now. And, and now he's like, oh, somebody's threatening my wife and, and I'm going to distance myself from these extreme people, even though I wanted them to vote for me and now I'm in, so I don't need you anymore. And I think people are very shocked to see Danielle Smith talk so openly about anti-vaccination and a total misunderstanding of what discrimination is. And the people that are actually being discriminated against, perhaps in the middle of her conservative followers and, and supporters, it's not unusual. But on, on the Canadian stage, the rest of us are like, what the fuck? Like, how did this person get in? Yeah. Right. And, and, and how, how is she not understanding the rest of Canada? And I just want to say one more thing, too, before I throw it to someone else is reconciliation. I live in a, a county that has three, three Indigenous communities, mm -hmm. two of which at any given time can have boil water advisories. Why are my municipalities not work? I am so angry about it. Why are they not working and building relationships with those Indigenous communities? I'm getting choked up because it's important to me. These folks were here first. Do Canadians not get that? I'm so, I, I could, mm, I could spit nails when I think about how discriminatory we are and how much we are not committing to the calls to action, the truth and reconciliation calls to action. I saw in my paper, there's this, you know, tourism, innovation and tourism contest. Why wouldn't we invite our Indigenous communities to work together on that so that we can all come together and everyone can prosper? That, those are my ideas. I'm going to pass it to someone else now. Who's next? I'll go if that's okay. Um, yeah, a couple things. And, and you both, uh, Eric and Sean Ray, have said some things that a lot of things that I've, I've thought a lot about. First of all, um, I just want to say that 
I do have a lot of political uh, opinions. I'm, I'm autistic and I tend to compartmentalize. So what I do is I have, I have two uh, grown children who I've taught to be anti-racists uh, as I am. And so they, and they, they're both autistic as well. And they take on causes for the uh, um, two-spirit LGBTQ communities about race, about, you know, all kinds of things. And, and they're very active in many communities. And, and my daughter actually has started a nonprofit organization for people with disabilities so that she can help them um, traverse through the scenarios that they encounter when they're trying to get funding or when they're trying to get equipment and that sort of thing. I have friends in, in London that I visit regularly and they are very active in, in gathering information about each of the candidates, for example, and then disseminating that information so that people know um, what each candidate stands for, because that information really is not very readily available. But my, my compartment is indigenous rights and especially That's water. Because I watched Flint, Michigan. My my sister lived near Flint, Michigan, and Elon Musk comes along and he provides all this bottled water for all the you know for the people in Flint, Michigan, but totally ignores indigenous communities who have had no water for decades. Why? Because he's South African. I, I mean, I honestly, I don't know if he's racist or not. I don't know. I wouldn't call him a racist, but I don't think he's anti-racist. And I don't think he's really looking at the, and he didn't come running in with water right away. It took over five years, but he finally came along with some water. And that was more, I think, of a, a, of a PR stunt. So you know, for me, my compartment is indigenous rights. It is um, helping, you know, it, because I can learn so much about living on the land from the people who have lived on the land for so long. One of the things that irritates me to no end is seeing people wearing leather but not wearing fur that could come from indigenous communities where they, you know, if, if they're the ones who are hunting and they're hunting for their livelihood, then what's wrong with fur coming from those communities? But they've been shut down because of certain organizations that don't allow any fur, and yet people still wear leather. I just bought a pair of leather boots with faux fur. <laughs> right? So, I mean, I have a lot of, a lot of very strong opinions, but, um, but, for me, living on the land and, and living around people who also live on the land, I respect the people who have lived on the land and live close to the land and have respected water and, and trees and plants and the things that we can eat off the land as living things. Water is a living thing. Every drop of water that we touch, touched People a thousand years ago, ten thousand years ago. I mean, it, it was—it's the same water that was here when we were primordial ooze. So that's something to be respected, and it should have its own rights. So yes, all, all of that is political, and I don't dissociate myself from political things. I choose my compartment. <laughs> I enter politics from that avenue. I listen to all the other things, but I could become overwhelmed. And as you said, Eric, you know, my shutters can go down. So I just wanted to say those things there. Thank you. Thank you for that. Anne, I saw that you came off me. Yeah, I just wanted to go back to the, um, the sense that misinformation and disinformation is uh, so, so easily transmitted and so easily accepted. I spend a lot of my time, uh, I do have a Facebook page and a Facebook group for my online newspaper. And I spend a lot of time babysitting it to make sure that people are not using it 
to to add to that disinformation mess. When you talked about Danielle Smith, the other day I was at a little tiny pizza place in a very tiny town. Um, and another time I was in Brampton, Ontario at a very tiny restaurant and there are stacks of Druthers newspapers there. So Druthers is delivered for free and um, the people who are running these little restaurants, they're not even paying attention. Somebody just walks in and drops them like they do real estate literature and that sort of thing. So they just drop them on the windowsill and people pick them up. And while they're eating their food, they're reading through this newspaper. And I noticed that one of the things, two, two things, one was that Danielle Smith herself was being quoted and there was a picture of her and she was being, you know, she was there as a sort of brother's supporter. And it was all the usual stuff, all this anti-vax uh, World Economic Forum, all the stuff that we've heard in her campaign and whatnot. And um, basically that was it, front to back. There were, when I was at this place in Brampton, there were four back issues. So I picked them all up because I don't get them. One of the things they suggest is that you can spend money, you can send them money and they will distribute these in your neighborhood. So you give them your postal code and your neighborhood and say how much money you're willing to give them and they will put these in people's mailboxes for free. So um, when it's tangible on paper, like some people, some people Facebook is, they're driven by that, but other people, when they get it and it's in print on a piece of paper, then it must be true because it's in print and it's on a piece of paper. So here's Danielle Smith, just as an example, um, you say, you know, how could that, uh, Eric said, how could that have happened? You know, how did we get there? Well, that's kind of how we get there. We get there just as in the old days, like, um, like Holly, people are going to the coffee shop and make, and, you know, telling their neighbor, this is, this is a fact. And the neighbor's going, well, you know, I heard, you know, Trump's biggest line was, I heard, blah, blah, blah. So he says anything, anything. And I, I even hear it in from my own mayor sometimes. He'll say, well, you know, I'm not sure where he got this fact, but I heard. And then says something with no source, no whatever. He's a lawyer. So, and he's a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. but, um, you know, that seems to me that in that same way that we trusted what our neighbor said over the fence or over coffee, we've kind of uh, extrapolated as if everybody who is saying these things in any situation, um, they must have something to back it up. We're not asking for sources. We're not asking for details. And then that just balloons. If once you let your brain go and and don't ask for that, then there's no way for your mind to do. You talked about uh, being in a, an echo chamber and we are clearly in an echo chamber right here in this room. There are four people. We are clearly saying each other's positions and nodding furiously. Um, it's the same thing that's happening on the other side. It's the same thing that's happening in the anti-vax groups, in the, in the freedom groups, in the, convoy groups in all of these things. It's the same thing that's happening. I say something and you go, yeah, you know, now you verified what I thought. And now we're all on the same page and we feel powerful because we have this group and, and we all agree to these facts. And, and um, I, I agree with Eric. I think this is, takes a lot of undoing and and it's a dangerous dangerous thing and we we can see it in Brazil we can see it in Italy we can see it in Britain we can see it in Alberta we can see what the big impact Danielle Smith was kicked out of the I mean had to leave the Wild Rose Party for for abuses for corruption and somehow the people who were in the in United Conservative Party, seemed to forget that completely. And they went, okay, let's have this woman. People on the outside, people I know in Alberta who are not conservatives are looking at this and going, wait a minute, did you forget? Apparently we do, very quickly, because it seems to be in our best interest to glom on to things that, where we have things in common and ignore the stuff that is difficult or challenging or uncomfortable or I just wanted to say it's confirmation bias right you all you're probably all familiar with that term and you're right Anne. but I wanted 
to be able to talk to people with different points of view. And this year for our provincial election, I went to one of the blue party meet and greets. I sat in a, in a, uh, and I'll be honest, I wanted to get up and leave. I really did. I want it because there is so much misinformation and they believe it and they believe it. And I, and I said, you know, like, why are you so disenfranchised by mainstream media? They don't trust mainstream media because someone put that idea in their head. You exist. And, and a lot of uh, smaller community newspapers exist, but the big mainstream media folks pulled up stakes in the small communities. So there isn't somebody typically holding city council to task. Nobody's asking them questions. Nobody's pushing back on issues. Nobody's even running against them because- uh, Can I speak on that for, for a moment? Because yeah, yeah. really, really important, that business of city council. So here we are in a municipal election. When I first started, I was a columnist for the Sun-Times. I mean, basically a free columnist for the Sun-Times, which is a post, now a post media, has been many things. Used to belong to Conrad Black and other things, but now is a post media. Post media is mostly owned by a hedge fund in New Jersey. Um, We still have a daily post media newspaper in our community. When we, when I first started, there were five people. We used to complain that the table wasn't big enough at city council to hold all the media. For uh, most of the last four years, it's been me and the guy from Post Media. That's it. So they are the mainstream media that people are not supposed to like. In our community, the people who are disenfranchised from the Post Media are the people coming to me. But now they're hanging out with me and going, oh, this is great. It's wonderful to have, you know, an honest media person. No, I'm just confirming their bias because I'm the person that actually talks about have a preference for Indigenous and women and LGBTQ and, you know, all that stuff. So I have all the people who didn't find a home with post media are coming to me. Now there's just us, the local radio station, one got bought by Bell and another one got, you know, so they are gradually not at the table. They're not there to hold people to account. And that's, Owen Sound has 21,000 people, but there's nobody at the table at the West Gray Council, at the Gray Highlands Council, at the Georgian Bluffs Council. There's nobody there. I occasionally get invited by people who go, you need to hear this, but I can't. I'm one person. I can't do all, you know, nine Gray County municipalities. So it's a serious problem that there is nobody to hold them to account. And while I, uh, I'm sad about the fact that people are not reading the newspaper, I'm also conscious of the fact that our newspaper yesterday on Friday was 12 pages long, of which two pages was local news, and all the rest was post media propaganda so you know that's a problem i just want to ask you a question uh shauna how long have you been doing this so this is the second season of the podcast that i've been doing and i've been sending a newsletter since january and i started by amplifying woman identifying non-binary and queer entrepreneurs across rural canada uh and i sought them out meaning I went to community futures organizations and said, who are some of the people that are stand out in your community that I should talk to? And, and then I, I live, like I said, I live in a rural community and I see what's going on and I see the lack of diversity. I see alarming things happening. And I thought I want to branch out into more provocative thought provoking, urgent issues. Um, and I actually have, I would love to talk to you about this, Anne, and, and, you know, the rest of you too, get your thoughts, is I would love to build a network of rural reporters across Canada. I got goosebumps all over. So that we can feed into a national organization. I'm really terrified by how much money is generated and how much attention is generated by Rebel News Western, like all of the ultra conservative media outlets that have gobs of money and gobs of support 
And, and when, when the four of us are talking and, and you're right, there are lots of progressives, but we don't have a voice. We don't have a voice that isn't encumbered entangled with a large media company. Go ahead, Eric. I agree with you. And, uh, and I, I'm going back to something Anne said about, and you did about uh, going to uh, a right-wing get-together. I'm wondering if maybe that isn't the way we should be approaching things, is if you can, if you can build a group in your area of, of people, progressive people that follow politics fairly closely and can uh, actually propose the, the alternative to um, this, the stuff that you hear that you know isn't true in these meetings of theirs. There's a couple of reasons why people are listening to these points of view, and it is related to being ignored. Yeah. Uh, people feel ignored, and they don't trust any. They don't trust any media. And, and that seed has been planted and then re re-enforced um, over and over and over and over on social media. And then people use their own confirmation bias. I don't want progressive education in my school. I don't want my grandchildren learning about trans folks. I don't want my uh, children being taught critical race theory. I don't want progressive thoughts in my community. And so Progressive about nothing progressive about it. It's just rational thoughts. It's it's uh I agree, but we all agree with that, I think. And but here's the thing: I think that we're seeing the dismantling of white supremacy and the hanging on of white males and the women, including myself, who have benefited from from white males being in charge and being a white woman, I, we're all holding on. Like they're, they're holding on to what they, their traditional way of life and they're threatened and, and that's scary. And, and it's exciting though, too, because we have an opportunity, like you say, to open dialogue. I actually brought an Indigenous friend who asked questions about in our closest Indigenous communities at this blue party, you know, get together. And I talked to them about the media. I'm like, how do you think that people get stories in the media? And I explained because I worked in a, like at a major radio station. I know how it works. And they were surprised. And they're like, oh, we didn't know that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions that you have, you know, kind of thing. But, but the thing is, is you can't put blinders on. Like when I first, like I said, I wanted to leave. I wanted to get up and leave because to me, it feels so emotional that folks believe these things. And, and it's scary to me, but it's not about the person. I think at the core, people are good. And I think that what's happening is... The pandemic was a perfect storm. It was a perfect time for social media and online stuff to be driven. I looked it up a lot during the Freedom Convoy as it was happening, that there was a dry run in December. They knew they were going to do it. You know, like there's a lot of, anyway, it, you all know, like I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted, but I, I agree with you that we need to have these open dialogues with people that don't agree with us and, and be uncomfortable with what they're saying and believe to be true. I think that we need to listen and hold space for folks who don't agree with us. And you touched on that. And, and, I, and you're right. Like, I mean, it is great to sit around uh, in a coffee shop and talk to like-minded people, but that's not changing what we need to change. I have a question for Eric, actually. Yeah. Uh, you said that you uh, you have a group uh, shows all the the sides of political issues. Is that right, or or non-biased? I, I think it's fairly biased because a lot of the people that uh, join this group of mine, and it's called Seeds for Change. It started out as a 
political and racial unity type where you supposedly we bring up issues and talk respectfully. We do keep it respectful, but it seems more center and left than anybody from the right uh, speaking up, which I find disappointing because uh, I would like to for them to engage. And I know a couple of uh, people in that group that are on the right, but they don't speak up. And I don't know if they're just, hopefully they're listening and, and reading what we post and, and hopefully uh, taking some of it as advice or whatever. But uh, I've had that group for over a year now and it's it's got I think about 140 members from across Canada and I've got one from Finland now. It's interesting for the with the small number that do engage, but it's always the same ones. And I would I would really like if more people would open up and uh, and participate in some way. So. Like I said earlier, I started or I bought a Zoom account and uh, I sent out 50 invites and I got five uh, participants. And like I said, they were all older than myself. One, I think the oldest was 84 and smart as a whip uh, a lady. And uh, people like that, I wish the younger people would come in and just listen. That's my goal is just come in and listen. And if you feel there's something that you want to talk about, and even if you don't want to talk online, send me a message afterwards. Uh, I know a lot of people and I'm one of them. Uh, I'm deathly afraid of uh, going online and hosting a meeting. Uh, and I don't have the experience that uh, two of you for sure have had uh, as far as public speaking and stuff. I want to pick up on something that you said about people's fear, because you also have to recognize that in communities like mine and yours, where, where it's overwhelmingly blue, um, and it isn't, but it seems to be overwhelmingly blue. And the public conversation is often very blue. So people will say things like municipal politicians will say things that are fairly racist um, and they'll get away with it because, because people who are also sitting at the table with them um, use the same kind of language. I, I don't mean racist in a violent or anything way. I just mean um, language that I wouldn't use and my friends would not use. But what happens is that the people who are progressive, they get together and they feel so relaxed about the fact that they can now speak um, in that they tend to create their own little uh, echo chamber. So what happens is that not only are we not willing to go into blue groups and, and you know, I know I've done it sometimes, but it's not comfortable. But also that when I get back to my own people, that it's, um, you know, it's reassuring to know that there are other people like, like me that think like me. And so sometimes we get to talking in a way that is absolutely just as negative about the blue people as they are about us. And sometimes we use very anti-blue language um, because we feel comfortable, we feel safe. We're in a community of people that think like us. And then, and then the thing doesn't change at all. As long as you, you know, as long as everybody's spinning in their own circles, it's comforting and it's um, and it's reassuring. And it also gives people, it does give people. Uh, motivation to go out and do things when you when you hang with people who think like you and then okay I'm going to go out there and make change um, so it is helpful to be reinforced by like-minded people but it's also just as dangerous because we're creating circles that are um, yeah we're creating other circles we're not creating a Venn diagram it's my favorite image we're not creating a Venn diagram we're just creating new circles well, I, I think too that, and, and this is only my experience online, and you mentioned it, Eric, is that conservative voices are the loudest. And 
and the most um, angry in a lot of cases, uh, the vitriol is evident. And if you are a person that believes that we should all take care of each other, and like you mentioned, Eric, you know, the, the lowest can afford housing and food. And, and you know, if, you, if that's what you believe at, the, at your essence, then you're not somebody who's gonna attack someone verbally. And, you know, unless you are like, so that, that's what happens is online, it, who wants to engage in that kind of angry back and forth when it's not gonna go anywhere and you're not gonna change anyone's mind. And, and I think that that's why people don't get engaged and, and many women don't get engaged in politics is their mics get shut off, they get you know attacked online, uh, made fun of, uh, ridiculed in, and and nobody puts them in check on a Facebook page that is administrated by you know different groups. Whose responsibility would it be to ensure that everyone's treated equally? No one's. Something that came to my mind was, what if you know we formed across Canada rural group of folks that invited different opinion groups together to have a conversation. And we started in Western Canada and moved across to Atlantic Canada and, you know, just hosted these conversations like, okay, so where can, how can we meet in the middle and not necessarily invite politicians? Because I don't think anyone trusts politicians at this point. It, it's just, it, they would not feel comfortable doing that. Of course, politicians will want to be part of it. We're not hearing from the voices. We're not amplifying people that really should have a voice. And, and that's my thought. It's interesting that you use language, which, so let's be clear, I'm 69 years old. Um, and a lot of language that you're using is not what I grew up with. And, and my learning curve has been very steep. Uh, but now I say that the Owen Sound Hub, our mandate is to build a community, to find solutions to our common concerns, to be part of the process of finding solutions, and to amplify the voices of those who don't usually get past the microphone. So I, when I learned that phrase from one of my much younger friends, I went, yes, this is the language that I need to use. And that's, you know, we, we have lots of space because it's a digital format. So we have lots of space to allow people to write letters to the editor and opinion pieces and engage. And um, if I have a choice, I mean, I, I usually publish everything. I really wish I would get more right wing stuff because often people will say, look, you always publish that. And I say, if I got it from you, I'd publish it, but you're not providing it. If you give it to me, I will publish it. And then we could have a dialogue. But if all I'm ever hearing from is people on the left, I can't help that. It's not, that's not my fault. I speak from the left in my editorials, but that's because I'm honest. That's who I am. I've never covered my bias. I admit it right up front, but also I publish things from, uh, you know, particularly young people uh, is my real interest because I need to learn and and they need to have mentors. Eric said he would like to have young people engage in his group. You can't force that. It's a relationship. And you just, when you have the relationship, then you have a relationship with one person and they feel safe, then they come in and then maybe other people come with them. Um, we still have most, most of our readers are still older, but, uh, but the people who engage with us and actually give us material are often younger. And that's great because then that helps the older people need to know there has to be some cross pollination here in the seeds of change. If you're going to get seeds, you got to have cross pollination, right? That's, <laughs> That's an older phrase. Um, I, I have something to say about that too, that um, I, I've found the same thing. I actually can communicate well with my, my children's uh, friends because I am in my later sixties myself. I didn't have kids until I was in my mid thirties. And, so my, my children's friends are much younger and they are politically 
active, but they're not not running for office or things like that. But they just want to see more people voting and they want to see more people get involved in in change and, you know, making things better for their world because they know, in fact, my children have not have not decided whether they want to have children of their own because they're not sure of the, the future. And but they but they have their voices out there and they're trying to encourage other people to do that. But it is about relationships. We have to make people feel like it's okay to feel uncomfortable, to to say, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. Tell me where it is that you're feeling uncomfortable, because I bet you any money I'm feeling uncomfortable about that too. So let's see if we can have a dialogue around that and and you know some of the issues that we we have you know you said early on when i first um, came on eric was something about how you know we all have issues around food and we all have issues around you know survival and we all have issues around family so so those are the the basic facts and we build out from there so starting with something that you have in common. I used to teach first aid. And one of the first things I would do with my students is I, in very, very diverse groups. And I would say, you know, get together in groups of two or three and find out of, of somebody you don't know and find out something that you've never, that you don't know about them. That's not obvious. Find out three or four things that you have in common. And then, you know, talk about them a little bit and then introduce that person to the rest of the group if, if they're comfortable with sharing those facts. And that's where really, you know, because then they have to touch each other. <laughs> they have to do CPR yeah. on each other, right? So they, have to, um, they have to bandage each other. So they have to feel comfortable touching people that they've never met before. And, and it's the same concept of making people comfortable with doing something that's uncomfortable. And so if we let people know, yeah, I feel uncomfortable too. You feel uncomfortable. Where do we feel uncomfortable? in a similar way and what can we do about it? And maybe that's one of the keys of finding that, of doing that, you know, getting, of getting people engaged. So Eric, in your group, for example, saying to, some, not to, the, to the general group, listen, I want somebody who's feeling uncomfortable to, to tell us where they're feeling uncomfortable or tell us what, what, their, what their emotion is right now that mm-hmm. makes them not want to talk. That yeah. makes them not want to to open up. What is it that's preventing you right now? That's yeah. an indigenous way too. I actually <laughs> used to teach indigenous studies to to indigenous people in Saskatchewan when I taught forestry for five years. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I taught indigenous people how to do forestry so that they could start their own businesses. One of the things they don't do is push themselves onto somebody else, try to find solutions for somebody else's problems. But they ask them, what is your, you know, is there something that you're feeling uncomfortable about right now? What can I, you know, what can we find in common? And so that's, you know, maybe that's a way to, to start reaching out to people. Feel uncomfortable, because I do too. Let's see what we can do together. I'm 55, and it's been a steep learning curve for me too. learning about my privilege, learning about Indigenous communities, um, but feeling really uncomfortable. I think allies, we allies are are the ones that will be the bridge. I really feel that way. I I love what you're saying, Holly, and I think, yes, um, it it would be great to host those conversations. And let's talk more about how that evolves. Um, I'd love to have a conversation about that. How can we host these conversations across Canada? Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, And the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware, First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. 
I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season. And as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 